This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. Once again, I've got Dr. Emily Spleckel with me. She is a podiatrist and human movement specialist from Manhattan, world-renowned, travels around the world doing what she does. I've always been fascinated with the work she does, and I always love bringing her back because she gets my back, and I, I, really, I really need that in this world these days. <laughs> Dr. Emily, thank you so much for coming back on the show with me. Of course. Always a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So, Emily, before we uh, got formal with this and started talking about the podcast for the folks, I alluded to the fact that I'm doing a lot of work with obstacle racing athletes, and it's becoming a big deal for them. They realize that two things going on here. Both fall very nicely into our wheelhouse. One, these athletes have identified the importance of being able to run well. And if they don't run well, that injuries become a real big deal. A lot of ankle injuries in the sport. Guys spraining their ankles because they're running on natural surfaces and they tend to use zero drop, minimal shoes, which I'm absolutely supporting of. But they make some mistakes in respect to other shoe selections. Maybe while they're training on road or what have you, they're wearing a shoe that is contrary to the type of shoe they race in. We can talk about that a little bit. But what's more important to me, to the message I want to get across to folks and have you help me with, is the importance and the benefits associated with training foot to core, what that means. I want to talk about facial tensioning, what that means, and then hopefully get right into talking about how it relates to upper body and grip strength. Absolutely. I'm excited. All right. So um, if we want to start with the endurance or the obstacle courses, having an understanding of the foot, even, even when we're talking about grip strength, you have to think about the role that the foot has and the way that it's interacting with the ground because where grip strength comes into play is um, think you're going through a course and you're going to jump up and grab something. There is an element of grip strength through that, but how you take off from the ground and your foot strength and the way that that stabilizes 
kind of like a domino effect of stability through the body is critical. So in my program, I teach a lot of what I call foot-to-core sequencing, and what it does is it establishes your powerhouse, which is your core, to be stabilized through feedback from the foot. That's where shoes play an important role, and having a more minimal, natural-type shoe allows more uh, efficient foot-to-core sequencing. Your shoulder stability and ultimately your grip strength is dictated by your core or your central stability. So um, last night I was actually reading some research that showed that before, let's say like a a tennis player or uh, a baseball player that's about to swing a bat, they showed, EMG studies showed that the foot muscles actually fire before the core muscles which fires before that athlete initiates the swing of the racket or the bat, which I think is quite fascinating. And it truly shows how upper body shoulder stability is dictated by our foot stability and our foot to core sequencing. So that's really a lot of what we're speaking of. And then the fact that it is pre-programmed, which means you have to train those activation cascades if you want to have faster shoulder stability. When you're running a race, you're, you're fatigued, you are, you've are you just been running a certain distance, now you have to climb something, you have to kind of tap into that upper body strength. The more efficient you are at your ground and foot reactions, the more efficient you'll be at stabilizing your shoulder, which ultimately leads to grip strength. Um, again, kind of thinking from a, a training perspective, If you build that into your training when you're not on the course, that ultimately increases your performance and offsets injury when you are fatigued. And that's where most injuries happen, such as the ankle sprains that you had mentioned. Ankle sprains, I've had different fractures, people getting tendon ruptures on these course races. It's ultimately because of fatigue. And I think a lot of that fatigue is because of what they're doing in between each of the obstacles, which is that running efficiency. Let's talk about, um, th- this is cool, uh, one of the things that comes to mind is the term tensegrity. I love that term, and, I, and, and I, let me see if I understand what it means. Tensegrity is essentially this global unification of the network of fascia, right? So what occurs from the ground up, as you suggested, has a huge implication on what happens even at the shoulder and grip. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And... Uh, so when when we you've you made me think of a lot of things. Okay. And, and what what uh, what comes to mind now is that those that are thinking in terms of wearing uh, a cushier shoe, and I don't want to go on a rant, but just just to kind of make my point, the reaction time you're getting because you're losing some of the information from the mechanoreceptors in your feet, it's going to dampen or delay the signals to the musculature, and this is going to cause potential instability on upset. Is that is that pretty much right? Yeah, it really does because you have to remember that this is all um, they they call it anticipatory reaction or pre-activation firing, which means, and it's quite fascinating when you think about it, which means that before you even lift your arm to turn on or off a light switch, just as an example your TVA or your transverse abdominals are firing. And the fact that you're 
nervous system knows that you're going to lift your arm before you even lift your arm. Like, to me, it's fascinating. And a lot of that feedback comes from the ground, which is why I build all of my programming around from the ground up. Well, and then you made a comment. I, I, I picked it up, I think, on one of your webinars, but it was an interesting comment you made about the distinction between proprioception and kinesthetic awareness. Yes. And kinesthetic awareness, in the analogy you used was what you do neurologically to identify how high you need to jump before you even begin to jump. That would be kinesthetic awareness, right? Yeah, so if you're thinking of like, again, obstacle courses, if they're going to jump up and say grab a rope or something to know how high to jump so that you can actually grab the rope or if you're going under something to know how low you need to go, that, that would be kinesthetic awareness. Well, that's that's interesting because then that ties right into foot-to-core sequencing, right? You kind of like first have to think about the task. You create the amount of energy or intend to create the amount of energy necessary to complete the task. And then you're depending on your ability to stabilize the body and the musculature necessary to actually create the task. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's it, everything is deeply integrated and... It's all fed on our stability, which is the ground. Um, And then you can prep the body that way. If you're saying like, okay, well, let's say you're swinging on a bar. Well, that's not, that's not, your feet are not closed chain on the ground. However, you can do certain activation exercises to prep your shoulders, which then ultimately improves your grip strength when you're on the bar, even though you're not closed chain. So it's still related to the foot, and it's still related to the tensegrity that you're speaking of because these sequencings follow fascial lines. I would like you to talk a little bit about the value in practicing the Yonda short foot. I listened again to another one of your bits, and you were talking about the intrinsic musculature and the involvement associated with how it goes on up into the kinetic chain and into your pelvic floor by by developing this, what's the word I'm trying to use? Integration, I guess, is what it is, huh? Where you're, this is essentially what this ground-to-core mentality is. Can you kind of explain how that works? Yes. So short foot is the exercise that I use to kind of kick on the foot-to-core sequencing or the fascial tension between the foot and the pelvic floor or the trunk. Um, Where short foot, it's an exercise that was initially introduced by Dr. Yonda, and essentially it's almost like doming your foot or rooting your digits down into the ground. Now, when I first started teaching short foot, I focused a lot on the intrinsics, which is what you mentioned. And now when I start exploring some of these fascial lines a little bit more, In addition to the intrinsics, there's the long flexors, which insert into the tips of the the digits on the foot. And those long flexors, when you root the digits down into the ground or you push the tips of your toes down into the ground, fascially, your flexors run into your adductors, which then runs into the pelvic floor, which then continues up and it goes into your rhomboids and your serratus anterior. So that's... um, a very long kind of fascial line of how you can establish this sequencing. Now, when it comes to 
fascial tensioning, which I speak about a lot, I actually focus much more on uh, fascial tension zones, if you want to call it. And um, one of those, or some of those fascial tension zones would be, one would be the foot, and the way that you establish tension in your foot is through short foot. The next zone would be your core, or more so your pelvic floor, and the way that you would create tension in the pelvic floor would be to do like a, a pelvic floor brace or an abdominal brace, something that's actually deeper though, kind of like lift the pelvic floor. And if you do that at the exact same time as short foot, you'll actually feel that you are more stable or you have actually generated more tension. The third tension zone would be around your scapula or your shoulder stabilizers. And you engage that through engaging the rotator cuffs, the lats, the lower traps, etc. By having that additive effect, and then let's say you're holding on to something. So you're, you're holding on to a bar, uh, a barbell. The next tension zone would be then your hands. So you're kind of getting this continuity of tension that runs from the foot to the core to the shoulder into the hands. And what I try to have people focus on, just in case, you know, some people might have heard of body tension through um, Strong First, which speaks a lot about um, with kettlebells. And what they speak about is they want you to actually engage the foot, the core, squeeze your glutes as hard as you can, squeeze your shoulders, squeeze your hands. So you're almost like like a wall of tension that nobody can knock over. Why? which is true, however, why I don't like that is because that's not really, that doesn't transfer to function. I want somebody to be able to generate tension, but still somehow give the appearance that they are moving like a cat or like a ballet dancer, like they're weightless. Does that make sense? Yes. So okay. essentially what you're saying is it, it's almost like, and I told you in a message, and I'll share it, but I, I, if you recall the message I sent you, I said, you kept me up. I was up all night thinking about this a, uh, a few days ago because what I try to do is I try to relate the concept of this facial tensing or tensegrity to early martial arts. Yes, and, yes, 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 and exactly. I, I'm thinking, well, this is 2,000 years old. I mean, what we've done or what you've done or what you've been working with is drawn to light the scientific and physiological responses that are akin to what 2,000 years ago these masters of martial arts were creating with probably no, no awareness other than, I don't know how they developed it, but I, I liken, I even used the, the, the thought process with uh, my client earlier today, uh, Bruce Lee. I was a fan of Bruce Lee, and he's a, a prime example of the power and the dynamic nature of the way he can move because of the way he was capable of creating the spatial tension. You, you think I'm crazy, or does that make sense? No, I, I actually just pulled up on my Facebook page. the As soon as you said martial arts, I thought of Bruce Lee, and then I thought of his quote about water. Yes. And that's exactly, that's all about tension, your ability to generate force, but a person has to remember that you want to be able to generate force effortlessly and delicately in a sense where whenever I teach, I tell people to be strong, but relaxed. Like, I don't want to know that you are working that hard. Like, don't show it like 
through your face. Have it be like a deeper fascial tone that's running almost like your internal core through your body is fascially tense. But then externally, your more superficial muscles can tap into that internal one without being like locked like uh, like the Hulk or something. Right. Well, again, going back to Bruce Lee, he would generate force from the ground. You could see mm-hmm. he, would, he would basically bury his feet into the ground mm-hmm. and then very explosively produce work. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would do it with great fluidity. He could do it. It didn't appear to be rigid. It was always very flowing. And as the analogy you use in repeating what he said, he said, be like water, my friends. Yep. And, and essentially that's what he's been doing. So let's kind of try to tie this together for a minute because the aha moment, I think, for the people that are listening to this is that there are some simple things that lead to our ability to encourage this unification, I guess is a word I want to use, of this facial relationship with the musculature in our functionality. Does that make any sense? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> Beginning with... The ground up, talking about, and, and I've never heard you say it before, but it was interesting to hear you say that from the ground up, right up into your rhomboids, that far up the kinetic chain into your back and your shoulder girdle is where you're going to be able to encourage the stability. Mm-hmm. And the stability begets the explosive power output, right? Yeah, absolutely. You can't, um, I'll often show people in my workshops about even something simple as if you were going to do bench presses on a flat bench and then you were going to do the same bench press on a physio ball with your, your back on a physio ball, which one are you able to create much more force? And it's hands down the stable bench. So we need to get our body on that stable bench, not meaning that you have to like lock down, but that would be your tensegrity or your fascial tensioning, which brings your body onto that stable bench. Right. So the, the, the disconnect, I think, that is current in today's training paradigms is we speak so much about developing muscle. Now, muscle can only be developed if there's this tensegrity, right? I mean, you're not going to really get good functional muscular development unless you're able to get things firing properly. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and I, I like what you had said as far as functional strength or functional muscle development, absolutely, hands down. You could probably hypertrophy, but how functional does that hypertrophied muscle translate? It doesn't. Right. <laughs> it doesn't. And again, going back to Bruce Lee, the evidence of, of what he was able to create, I mean, he's a little guy. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think soaking wet, he was probably 130 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I've seen him level a, a heavy bag on a ceiling with a punch. And, you know, there's just the amount of force that the, this guy was able to produce. He would do uh, lateral dumbbell raises with 75-pound dumbbells and just hold them there. Mm-hmm. And he's not doing that with his arm. You know, right. He's doing that out of the ground. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about a multidisciplinary sport like obstacle racing, where the challenges come from all directions, climbing over a wall, jumping, rope climbing, now in obstacle racing for the world championships at Battle Frog, they created a rig that is 80 feet long. So you're changing from hanging on to a rope to hanging on to a ring to hanging on to a bar to 
just making your way hand over hand over hand with all these various grip problems. For Is it eight, almost like the Ninja Warrior stuff? Well, it's a lot like that. I mean, okay. I think they okay. take a lot of yeah. what they do in Ninja Warrior from obstacle racing because okay. now what happens is there's pretty much three or four factions that compete with one another for event participation. So there's Spartan, there's Battle Frog, there's uh, the Tough Mudder uh, mm-hmm. and uh, World Championships, but Warrior Dash, so there's all these different guys, and they all kind of have their own flavor of obstacles that they pitch at the competitors. Mm-hmm. And some of them require that if you're going to earn money as an athlete in the sport, you have to complete the obstacle. You can't, like, for example, in Spartan racing, if you can't do the obstacle, you can burpee out. So you have to right. do, you perform 30 burpees and move on to the next next obstacle. Battle Frog, you can't do that and win money. So if you fail an obstacle, you go back and you do it again and do it again and do it again until you finally complete it. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a real challenge for two things. And again, I, I said it earlier, this is why it pushes so heavily into our wheelhouse is that functional development of power and running and translating this into upper body functional strength and this whole grip strength and tensegrity we talked about, it's like huge for these guys. So you're about to get very popular. <laughs> So talk to, I mean, I heard you say it, and I think I'm going to repeat it just to kind of get you to play with it a little bit. But we talked about short foot. We talked about what we're doing with our feet to try to develop this interrelationship with the facial lines up through the core. But then I heard you say with doing upper body exercises, for example, doing a push-up where you're pressing your digits into the ground yeah. to try to encourage this facial tensioning up through the... Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes. And as I talk about it, for those who are listening, if they want to kind of um, do it with me, because I'm going to go down on the floor and kind of just talk through some of the exercises so that people can feel it. I think um, we're very tactile beings, and fascia and fascial tensioning is definitely a tactile... Uh, perception. So if I'm talking about it, but you don't experience it, you might be like, okay, that's great. So um, one of the ways that I first get people to kind of appreciate it is if you take just a simple push-up. And the way that I also teach um, people to tap into lower extremity power, very similar to how they tap into upper extremity power, upper extremity power meaning either you're going to throw something, you're going to do a push-up or grip strength. So take it for whatever you want to kind of translate it to, is that you have to drive it from a external rotation spiral. So from a biomechanic perspective, there has to be some sort of external rotation element to upper body power or stability. So when we do a push-up position, is I have people first start to externally rotate their shoulders back. So if you're on your hands and your knees and your shoulders directly over your elbow, over your wrist, and you wrap your shoulders back, back and down. So it's almost like your shoulder blades kind of get tucked under, um, kind of towards the sides. You're stabilizing. When you do that, the crease of your elbow starts to face forward. So that's how you know you're externally rotating your shoulders. After you do that, 
then you want to push your digits down into the ground and then come off of your knees onto your toes. So now you're in a push-up plank. When you're here, you should feel much more stable relative to a different type of push-up plank. So if you were to compare that and just put your hands on the ground, shoulder elbow over wrist, come up and just engage your abs as hard as you can, but your fingers are not connected, a person is going to start to feel that difference in stability. How much they're able to actually tap into their core is fed through the ground, but this time what's on the ground is our hands and our fingers. So um, that's a first introduction to it. Another way that I then translate that, which I feel is almost more powerful, is in a straight arm side plank. And I used to hate these in yoga because they would hurt my wrist, but it's because I was like dead in my hand. So if you are going into a side plank position and you have, so I'm on my right side and I have my shoulder over my elbow over my wrist, again, I have to externally rotate. So I'm not going to push up into my side plank without having that external rotation. All of these exercises I'm talking you through are the activation that I do before I do any pull-ups, grip strength, etc. So shoulder over elbow over wrist, spread your fingers so they're splayed. Externally rotate the shoulder so the crease of the elbow is facing forward. Push your digits into the ground first. Hold that position and then bring it up to your side plank. And as you're holding your side plank, keep pushing the fingertips down into the ground. So you're almost feeding your energy from the ground, just like you had mentioned with Bruce Lee. So roots, fingertips are rooted down. You should feel that there's tension generated from the fingertips all the way up the arm, through the bicep, into the shoulder, stabilized. And then you can actually feed that into your core by pushing your fingertips and doing a brace. And you should actually feel that they're kind of like talking to each other, and the more, the harder you push your fingertips down, the more you'll actually feel your core engage. Does this make sense? Yep, sure does. Okay. Now, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm telling you, you, you keep me up at night. <laughs> but what I was thinking was the, the general concepts of exercise development and training. Good practice is to develop exercise from simple to complex. And so... I'm saying this for the people that are listening to this and trying to figure out how this correlates into the type of exercises or um, challenges they face when they're racing. But I, I'm looking at this push-up as the simple exercise that encourages a, an awareness, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would believe there's going to be some neurological adaptations that are, that are going to carry over when you start to feel that you're encouraging this stabilization through that kinetic chain into your shoulder girdle, into your core, and it will be there for you when you do something like reach up and grab a ring and have to climb a rope or what have you. Would you agree with that? Yes, 100%. And what what I want your listeners to know, so in addition to all my podiatry and kind of all the barefoot stuff that I do, just so they understand how how I apply this to my practice is, I know you know this, but I'm an aerialist. So in order for me to hold on to the silks, which is actually much harder <laughs> than a ring or a bar or something just because of the difference in grip, is the limiting factor when you do, whether it's ring work, 
um, pull-up work. I'm doing aerials. I'm, I'm on the silks for five minutes nonstop holding my body weight. You have to have massive grip strength. What I, how I integrate this into my practice and how I actually started exploring it is that when my shoulders would start to fatigue, they would, re- they would start to go internally rotated. And as soon as that happened, my grip strength would just like, and then I started grabbing through more my levator scap and my bicep tendon. So I was kind of cheating because my smaller stabilizers, which are kind of the lower rotator cuff muscles, were not strong enough. I would cheat with my, you know, power, more superficial muscles, which is how a lot of people cheat when they get fatigued. And then I started getting injured and I got bilateral bicep tendonitis, had to have injections. Um, So really I rehabbed myself through these activation exercises. So between, we're saying between every set of pull-ups that you do, get down on the floor, externally rotate your shoulders, root your digits down into the ground, and hold that plank for 10 seconds and feel how your hands and your core are kind of sequencing with each other. Hold it, hold it, hold it, and then come up. Go do your set. You're going to feel so much more powerful on that next set. And all you're doing is you're kind of reawakening these stabilization neurosequence pathways that need to be there in order for you to have optimal function. Well, first of all, let me just say that I've never heard anybody call themselves an aerialist before. That's a pretty cool title. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, it's one thing to say I'm an OCR athlete or I'm a runner or something, but aerialist, that sounds like something that comes out of space. (laughs) That's pretty cool. But I like the idea, and I'm going to use it tomorrow morning. I have my group. I'll be training in the morning. And uh, I've actually got some, some women that are training with me that are older women that are I've, – I've signed them up for a race. I didn't, I didn't ask them, do you want to do a race, but I signed them up for an obstacle race. One of them is 71 years old. The other one's 65. And I've got them, so they're, they're managing to get across a, uh, a monkey bar pretty, pretty efficiently. But – Tomorrow I'm going to have them do that. I'm going to have them get on the ground. I'm going to have them go through the sequencing where they're going to rotate. They're going to drop their scapulas, externally rotate their arms, and get them in a position. I'm going to have them shove their digits in the ground. I'm going to have them hold that for as long as I can make them do it. And then I'm going to have them do some of the upper body strength exercises to see how it fares. But I think that's a really, really good usable take-home tip. Yeah, and the way that I also try to improve my grip is do that that – push-up plank that I said. I do not get onto a bar and hold or do pull-ups or whatever unless I do that activation exercise because I know if I don't, I'm going to hit a certain point and my shoulder's going to like destabilize and it's going to go right into my bicep tendon. So I use that as a way to kind of prime it. So I'll do that for 10 seconds. I'll get on like a rock wall kind of hanging, a ring, a ball, a rope. It doesn't matter. Some sort of grip and I grab it and then I externally rotate my shoulders and I hold on to that bar or ring through my scapular stabilization or through my rotator cuff in a sense versus thinking of grip strength as fed through the hand because it's not. It has to come from your shoulder. And when you prime that, that push-up and you feel how, how much shoulder stabilization is going on in that push-up plank through that spiral – and then you grab something and you spiral out and you hold that way, 
you would be surprised how much longer you can actually hold on to that bar or that ring, etc. Huh. That's good stuff. Now, I'm sitting here while you're talking, and I'm drawing to mind what we've talked about many times. And I think, and I'm just going to talk out loud with this, the frustration for a lot of people trying to perform a short foot exercise for the very first time is they don't see the forest for the trees. I can see where doing the grip strength with your hands, uh-huh. it's the payback is pretty instantaneous, where the perception of gaining stability through the ground by performing a short foot, or even if you're doing it incorrectly, what would you consider to be some really good tips to try to gain that that sensation of stabilization because you're doing the right things with your feet? Um, well, so, okay, another one that people can do when they, I'll take them through another exercise, um, is, and I'll kind of talk it through. So, again, if people are listening, I would, and they can kind of go through this with me. That would be awesome. Um, is if you bring one leg forward and the other leg back. So you're just kind of um, almost like in a staggered position. And the front foot that is forward, I want them to find the foot tripod, which is underneath the first metatarsal head, the fifth, and the heel. So that's the foot tripod, spread the digits, and then place them back down onto the ground. When they do that, they should feel that they now have all this skin to surface contact. And I would be doing this exercise on a a smooth floor. Don't do it on carpet. So something like wood or something like that. So if you give a little tug to your foot, you'll feel that you actually have some really good feedback that's coming in. Actually, like, pay attention to that feedback coming in. What I want them to do then is bend that front knee. And then before they do anything, I want them to engage their core. So what I think a lot of people do is that they do all this short foot activation without first engaging the core. So they're not going to get that same appreciation because we're much more tactile in our core. So uh, foot is forward, knee is bent, engage your core first, hold the core engaged, and then push your digits down into the ground. When you have that, you should feel that they're kind of talking to each other. Then I want them to lift the opposite leg so now they're balancing on that front leg. And you should be rooted in that front leg and you should almost feel like it's like a a power leg or like a tree trunk. I don't know how to explain it. Um, strong there where as you push the digits down and you hold your core and you feel that they're talking to each other. And then I have them release. Then I have them do the same thing on the other side. And I drive every movement almost as initiated from the core just because it's easier for people to grasp that. So if they were to do that same thing on the other side, hold it, feed it from the core, hold, release. And then if you start to go into different movements, which I know we've spoken about before, but let's say even, um, let's say a reverse lunge. So let's say if we go into a lunge position, so now I'm in the bottom of a lunge, and my right leg is forward and my left leg is back, I'm going to push my right digits down into the ground. So my front leg digits are down into the ground. My abs are engaged. My front leg even though I'm in a lunge, it's kind of like that tree trunk again. Because I have my digits and my core engaged, I can almost isolate out my back leg and pull it forward so I'm in a single leg squat. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now I'm in a single leg squat, but I'm holding that foot to core tension, and then I'm going to step my left leg right back into the lunge. I stay in the lunge, but I relax my front leg. 
then I do it again. Push my digits down into the ground, engage my core, right knee stays bent, pull the left leg in, kind of feed it from your core, like you're almost pulling that leg forward through your core tension. Hold the single leg squat, step back into the lunge, and relax the front leg. So that's, I, I try to teach people that, do you see how you can isolate out part of the body and that your core stability or your body stability is fed through that foot to core foundation? I always start much more um, kind of statically like that. And then when we kind of start doing movements like that, we can actually start doing jumps. So they can jump, land, and as soon as they land, they should be able to find short foot and a core engagement at the exact same time. So you have to kind of build it. And then people typically, because we're very tactile, so they're just going to feel like their glutes are burning, their quads are burning, like they're, they're sweating so much more, you know, because that's typically how I'll have people feel the foot to core tension, almost like how I have them do the um, hand to shoulder tension. And you could do a couple of those, like just get into that position, foot core, engage it, make them talk to each other, good, 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 hold it, do the other side, and then go do like a hack squat or something. I don't, you know, like just in the exact same way that I was like activate through that hand to shoulder, then go do your pull-ups. You'll notice a difference. Hmm. Well, I know it's difficult to try to uh, demonstrate this type of thing over an audio feed. <laughs> However, you've done a great job, and I, I, I can I can almost see you on the floor doing what you're doing. Yes. <laughs> but people should know that they can also find a lot of your videos on YouTube by going to Evidence Based Fitness Academy um, YouTube. That should that should get them there, right? Uh, yeah. So if it's YouTube.com backslash EBFA Fitness, um, they will find it. Or if they go to the Evidence Based Fitness Academy website, there's a, a link for the YouTube. That's a again. I keep bringing it to you, but I think that uh, this type of thing is going to be the secret weapon for a lot of the OCR athletes that are out there competing. If they can kind of get this into their head and get them to realize that there's this extremely important component of their training has to do with facial tensioning and getting this integration from from the ground up. It's going to make a big, big difference in their ability to not only perform, but minimize the potential for injury. Because you see a lot of shoulder injuries. You're seeing a lot of ankle injuries. These guys are getting hurt because they're not only are they infectious about the sport, but they'll race three times in a weekend. And I, I've never been a fan of that, but, you know, these people can't get enough of it. They might race a long course event on a Saturday, do a sprint in the afternoon, and a longer event on a Sunday or something of that fashion. Yeah. I um, Can I give a story real quick? Sure. So one of my uh, barefoot training specialist coaches – um, he's also a triathlon coach. And what he did with one of his athletes is he always implements the short foot, foot to core with his triathletes. However, he's never done it during a race. So this was a couple of years ago. And with one of his athletes, he was like, you know what? I'm going to actually try to integrate this in the race. So what he did is after the cycling, before his athletes started running, 
he did 90 seconds of the short foot foot to core that I was just talking about. And so as he was sitting there doing it, his athlete was like, coach, come on, this is ridiculous. Like people are passing me like it's a race. Come on. Why am I doing this freaking short foot? Again, only 90 seconds. Put on his shoes, starts running. He not only passed everybody who passed him while he was short footing, but he also broke his personal record. Wow. Which wow. to me shows that he was activating the muscles that need to be activated anyway for us to like, you got to react to the ground very quickly when you're running. And if you're coming off of a bike where you're not in relationship to ground impact forces, it's going to take a while for your body to kind of activate what needs to be activated. So, oh, it's brutal. Me, yeah, he, I, he I, was I just training in a very smart way, and it didn't take long. It's 90 seconds. Right. I can tell you from personal experience that transition from bike to run mm-hmm. is chaos for me. <laughs> My body has <laughs> no idea what it's trying to accomplish. I just know that it doesn't work very well for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, I could see where that would be very beneficial in that sport. Right. But, yeah, and so I, I just I just love this whole thing. I think the concept of getting smarter and this preemptive approach to developing this, I just love that word, tensegrity. It just, mm-hmm. to me, it sounds like putting all the parts together so things work better. Yep. Yep, yeah. it's quite fascinating, especially if you train that way or you're about, you're, like, tired, you're at the end of a course, and you have one more wall to climb or whatever, get down on the floor, do that push-up plank that I said, just excellently, like drive your shoulder into external rotation as hard as you can and push your fingertips down and activate your core, then jump up. I I almost guarantee you are going to notice a difference. And training that way, same thing. I have a couple of videos talking about that on YouTube, so both the foot and the hand, so people can check that out. I got a question just came to mind. When... I'm sure you deal with a lot of CrossFitters as well. Mm-hmm. And in CrossFit, a lot of guys are doing very powerful exercise like a clean or a snatch. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend that, obviously enough, that when they do these exercises, A, they're barefoot, and B, that they preempt the exercise with a short foot, a core engagement type of exercise? Yep, absolutely. I would preempt it, but I would also integrate it. So I believe that any CrossFit athlete, whether you're doing it just as more like kind of a hobby or workout or you're like taking it seriously is part of your warm-up you have to do these activation sequences so you know when you start doing some of that mobility stuff and waking up the core just drop down and do a few short foot or do a few of those planks and it's gonna it's gonna wake you up so much more I have to do that anytime I do that CrossFit workout I have to do it nobody else is doing it but I I sequence it in because I notice a difference in my own body they probably think you're a little weird when you see you doing it, huh? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I, you know, it's like you know something they don't know, right? Yeah. Well, not only do I want to be strong, but, I mean, to have bilateral bicep tendonitis and not do what you love to do is, that's depressing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I found a way that keeps my shoulders stable, keeps me actually stronger. What I can do now, like I'm doing all these single hand push-ups and single hand handstands and single arm pull-ups and like what I've been able to tap into because of doing this is so powerful. So, um, and it doesn't take long to activate the body that way. 
Well, I can tell you, I, I made a comment to you um, on the messenger the other day, and I've noticed it. I mean, in the few years that I've known you, I've seen you change. You've bought, you have actually have changed quite a lot. I, I blame that. Thank you, but I, I accredit that to training fascia. Everything I do now is all about body tension and fascial tensioning and body weight. I, I don't do weights anymore. It's all just me manipulating my body weight. And I don't know. I mean, maybe that's the secret to, like, <laughs> changing your body morphology or something. But, well, I think there's something to it. Clearly there's something to it. Uh, I, t I don't like to see people use external load until they're able to command their body. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a big statement. You would think that you'd be able to gain more strength by lifting weight. But at the end of the day, if you're doing it, irresponsibly and right. I, I use that term carefully because I don't think it's a matter of just deciding not to do the right thing but a lot of times I mean if you just look at the history with Pilates the idea of, of, of gathering information into the stabilizer muscles before you worry about the prime movers it's just it just makes a lot of sense to me yeah no it's it is quite amazing and I get people who ask me a lot at the gym like, oh, my trainer's trying to have me do heavy squats. I don't want to do heavy squats. And I used to push that because of, you know, you have to gain muscle mass to then increase your baseline metabolism to lose weight and kind of I get that. However, when you start looking at, like, these martial artists and things like that, and I follow a lot of, like, gymnasts who are now performers for Cirque du Soleil, and, I mean, their bodies are like machines. Aerialists. Yeah, aerialists. <laughs> And all they're doing is their body weight. Like a lot of these obstacle course athletes and like Ninja Warrior, the ones who do like some of the best were gymnasts because they know how to tap into body tension. You know, um, since you brought that up, we went on a cruise back in, I think it was March. We were invited by the people that put on the Spartan races and we, they, they got a cruise ship and we cruised to the Bahamas to a private island to put on a race. So cool. And everybody on the ship was an obstacle racing athlete. And on that ship were some of the best mountain climbers, parkour racers, mm -hmm. and you know functional body strength exercises on the planet. And there was probably about a 1,000 of us on the boat. I was the oldest, fattest, and most out-of-shape person on the ship. <laughs> But I'm telling you, by the bar, while we were sitting by the pool, by the bar, these guys were jumping up, grabbing the angle iron that was part of the ceiling, and hanging there in 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 parallel to the ceiling, and going through these crazy maneuvers. Uh, I mean, just putting on this show, and they were drinking. I mean, it, it wasn't even like, you know, these supreme athletes that don't ever, you know, they were, half of them were tanked while they were able to do these exercises. And I promise you that they never lift a weight. Half yeah, of them probably no. never lift a weight. Just crazy stuff. There's one guy, I'll tell you what, he, again, this is going to be difficult to appreciate over audio, but this guy's lying on his back. He's in his swim trunks, barefoot, in what I call the dying cockroach position, arms up, feet up, uh -huh. on his back. Another guy, dressed the same way, in his swim trunks, barefoot, no shirt, runs over, jumps up, lands on this guy's feet, so they're foot to foot, 
reaches down, grabs his hands, goes to a handstand on this guy's hands, and then the guy on the bottom does a press-up, hand-to-hand. And they're drinking. Oh, my God. And this was, like, going on all day long. It wasn't planned. Some of these guys didn't even know each other. And oh, they, God. Yeah, it was just bizarre. But That uh, sounds like fun, though. I would totally love that. Oh, yeah, you would have been all over it. You would have, <laughs> you'd have been all over it. But anyway, Emily, I always love having you on. I love the work you're doing. One Thank day, you. girl, one day I'm going to get you out here, and we're going to do some stuff together. Yes, I would love that. I, I really know. would. We're going to do it. We tried to do it once, and, you know, the thing fell apart at the wheels, but... We're going to do it. I, I, I'm not even going to tease you with what I got planned because uh, when I'm when I have it firm, I'll let you know. But in the meantime, I want you to enjoy the holidays. I want you to c- continue this aerialistic activity because I think it's doing you a lot of a lot of good. And I want you to continue to preach the good word because you are nailing it. Thank you so much. I, I always appreciate coming on here, and uh, I really do want to do something with you. So. I'm going I'm to hold you to that. <laughs> well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.